This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about the best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put sexy into supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. extra special episode as we welcome Julie Thompson from IceCorp USA to discuss how to outsource effectively, 3PL versus 4PL. Julie has come to us with a ton of background and experience on both sides of the fence as a service provider and in the private sector for various corporations. So thank you, Julie, for joining us today. Um, We love your story and foray into logistics, so let's get started with some background. Fantastic. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Julie began her career at a U.S.-based freight forwarder, but when the opportunity arose for a transfer to Japan, she jumped at it. That is where the luck came in because that experience molded her career since then. There were differences between how the U.S. and Japan approached business. Most impactful was the partnership forged between client and service provider. Because Japan is heavily dependent on international trade, they required their service providers to do more than move and store goods. We were ex- they were extension of our clients' operations, monitoring their supply chains, proactively escalating exceptions, and using data to drive efficiencies cross-functionally long before supply chain became a household word. Since returning to the U.S., Julie has seen the explosion of international trade with all levels of company outsourcing parts of their supply chain. That has made the need for smart choices as critical as ever, and it brings her full circle back into her time in Japan. So, Julie, we are so excited to have you share your knowledge with our audience today on how to outsource effectively, so let's get started. Can we start with maybe the definition of a 3PL and a 4PL and what the difference is? Absolutely. Uh, The way I like to think of the difference between the two of them The 3PL is more function-driven, where the 4PL is more process-driven. And maybe a different way of looking at it is the 3PL monitors or controls the tactical uh, of the function. So let's talk about warehousing. Let's talk about uh, combining physical flow of goods with warehousing. They tend to really focus on the tactical or the function of the supply chain, where the 4PL is more the the orchestrator of the complete and total supply chain function. So if you think about it, they're the ones that are taking the data and analyzing and trying to make recommendations on improvements or, or, or betterments within the supply chain. So I look at the 3PL as being more of a, a function, tactical, whereas the 4PL is more of a strategic um, or process-driven driven service. Okay, so maybe for our audience, just to get a little bit more of a visual on that, can you give us a breakdown and when you would work with one over the other? Sure. So a 3PL would be involved in the actual function of, of handling or sourcing uh, or, or yeah, handling of goods. So let's take warehousing, let's take the physical flow of a shipment of goods, 
let's take the actual flow of an individual inbound inbound shipment or supply flow. You would go to a 3PL to try to tie the pieces together of the individual tactical flow of goods. So for example, sorry, so for example on a 3PL, so a 3PL would handle your shipment from China into the U.S., the transportation component, and then they would handle the customs clearance, and then they would handle the warehousing inventory sort of distribution of that of those goods as well? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. And then as a, as a 4PL, what type of example, like what makes it a 4PL versus a 3PL in that type of okay. example? In that type of example, the 4PL would then dig a little deeper into the supply chain, look at the supplier, the supplier uh, flow to the warehouse, to the various functions of 3PLs. You could have multiple 3PLs in a supply chain where a 4PL would, would actually take the data and analyze the flow of goods to try to find the anomalies or the places where they could find improvements within that supply chain. Okay, so, so think of they're they're data driven and they're they're analysis driven, but they very seldom get involved in the tactical flow of the goods. So the actual movement, you when you talk about tactical, are you talking about the actual movement? Correct. Okay. Okay. So they're data driven and they take it from sourcing um, kind of the sourcing area of supply chain? Exactly. The supply chain, the definition of the supply chain is so broad that really that has really spawned the 4PL uh, market, if you will, because the supply chain is more than just simply the flow of goods from that particular shipper from China to the warehouse. The supply chain could be multiple suppliers that are supplying the seller that, you know, that then has to reach beyond the warehouse to the end customer. And the 4PL then digs deeper into the supply chain using the data to try to drive improvements, try to drive out transit times, and try to drive out inefficiencies. Yeah, we went, we went over this in our, in our, first, um, our first episode, the difference between supply chain and logistics. And supply chain is such a broad subject like anywhere from sourcing to last mile delivery so I'm really glad that we're going over you know the difference between 3PL and where sort of 4PL um, fits into that definition of the supply chain for sure. Yeah and I think it's very confusing for the individual who's buying the service to understand what what they need what they what they want is sometimes different than what they need. When I talk to clients, their data, they're starving for data. But when they get the data, they're starving for the analysis. And then when they get the analysis, they're starving for the implementation. So it's, it's really difficult to understand how you balance the services and what you're looking for when you are outsourcing part of that supply chain. Right. Right. So what would be maybe the top five things that you would recommend to somebody when looking to outsource, whether it's 3PL or 4PL? Start tactical. Okay. Everything will flow from there. I think it's very easy to get involved. It's almost the, the, the sexiness of the strategic 
can be a very intoxicating cell. It can be a very intoxicating cell to most, to most shippers or consignees that are just really desperate to understand how to make efficiency, make their supply chain more efficient. Well, and especially with especially with all of that data out there, it just it can make things a lot more complicated than it needs to be. But data really is with every with all of the data out there, it it is very intoxicating. It is, and I think the the problem with data is that it is what it is. It's the interpretation of the data that really can can be the death nail to any engagement. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, right, data is for data's sake, whatever it is. It's the interpretation and how you implement the results of those, that interpretation, that really is the differentiator between a, a good 4PL engagement and a bad 4PL engagement. Right, so your, your number one suggestion is to go tactical. So what would be, what would be the rest of your, your top five? Do your homework. Understand where, understand where the real problems in your supply chain are. Get a good grasp on that first before approaching a surprise, uh, uh, any kind of provider. And what I mean by that is if indeed you have a feeling that there's a specific part of your supply chain that is giving you the most grief, do your homework there. Don't open up your supply chain completely until you've done your research at home to get a feel of where you want to go. So start tactical, do your homework internally. Number three, make sure your organization is ready for the commitment to supply chain improvement. What I mean by that, that you know, as we've seen companies consolidate more and more, there are various influencers within an organization. If you're going to take the step to do the, the complete supply chain analysis, make sure you've got the stomach for doing that internally. One of my uh, earliest 4PL clients was a, a sort of medium-sized furniture retailer in the, in the U.S. They decided that they were going to change their ERP system. Not all the organization was really on board with it. So when they changed the ERP, we had different branch offices still following their own methodology, still doing their own thing, and it literally stopped production because nobody could communicate with the, with the, other, the other people within the organization. Just, just make sure that this is where your organization, that everyone is on board and ready to go. Awesome. And I think if I think of the, the, last, the last two things, um, in a corollary to the story that I just, I just mentioned, take it one bite at a time. Make sure that you understand the impact to changing one thing in your supply chain, whether it's through deciding to engage into a, a full analysis and change of a supply chain. Um, make sure that, 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 that you're focused there and you take it one bit at a time and measure the success as time goes on. Right. You know, those are really, really good um, 
tips for anybody looking to outsource and um, do you have maybe any tricks like little tricks that people could could embed in that in those strategies that you just spoke about that might help the process a little bit more understand the motivations of the people that you're talking to okay so if you are talking to a transportation company with a wider range of data elements to their offerings understand what drives that data element and i think you know there's a little bit of common sense here right anything for free is just that right. <laughs> something for free the motivations for a transportation company to give a data uh, data or data analysis to a specific importer or exporter they generally will have some sort of 3PL or a shipment level or tactical motivation behind it. So make sure that you understand the background of the company that is that you're beginning to partner with. If they are in their basis a transportation company, understand that that is going to be the driver of whatever advice or whatever uh, recommendations that they propose. They will have their own motivations, whether it's ship or shipment level profit, or trade lane, you know, their own internal drivers to offer that service to you. Yeah, and I think... Make sure you know who you're talking to. Yeah, and I also think one of the most important things that, um, you know, people need to come prepared with when they are talking to a service provider would be their pain points. You know, what's working for them, what's not working for them, um, so that that service provider can really take a strategic consulting role and take a look at it as a whole and give them a holistic approach or solution to that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the one thing that at least has been, um, it's really prevalent here in the U.S. is the sense that supply chain can be shifted on a dime with very little repercussions in any way, shape, or form. So you think about it like you change a trucker, how bad can it be? The U.S. market has been historically so vast that many folks are behind the trend of what it really takes to change a supplier overseas, change a transportation supplier that brings in cargo from a different country. Really, we're not we're, not, we're, we're behind, in some level, understanding that this, this can be a pretty impactful change. You, trade a, you change a transportation provider, you could then be increasing your transit time by seven days, and that may impact your ability to, to produce for your customer. Mm -hmm. It could change all kinds of different, down, it could be all kinds of downstream ripples, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. So. Where, just one, one more question about the outsourcing side of things, and then we're going to get into supply chain a little bit more. But where do you see the future in outsourcing? I see it going on warp speed further and further. I, I, I do not see it stopping. Primarily, I mean, there's a bunch of different drivers that all of us have seen in the news. Companies are consolidating, trying to drive out inefficiencies, and for the most part, transportation budgets are looked at as being necessary evils and expendables. So people in terms of 
of the, the people, the people power or the intelligence of how to actually handle supply chains is becoming a rarer and rarer commodity within most organizations. So I see that service providers, whether they be 3PLs with a specific niche or 4PLs, are going to be more and more leaned upon for their expertise in helping companies navigate through all of the complexities that are out there. Yeah, and so like the benefits of outsourcing, maybe we should just go over that really quickly as well because if it is going to be utilized more and more in the future, let's just pinpoint and um, project some of those benefits. There is, uh, it's, it's myriad uh, if I think about it. Um, there are so many benefits to the outsourcing, um, they're, they're, they're countless. Number one, most organizations cannot have organic knowledge worldwide everywhere they do business. Right. They can't keep on top of regulatory, they can't keep on top of political trends that might be changing the regulatory. There are so many influencers on the supply chain, it's, uh, it's really breathtaking. If you think about the amount of knowledge and the amount of capital it would take to have that many people in an organization in those many countries keeping on top of all of those different trends, it's breathtaking for an organization. Only the likes of some, you know, a company like a P&G could do that, right, with, you know, 150,000 employees worldwide, that kind of thing, and lobbyists everywhere. Mm -hmm. For the, the SME market particularly, it's absolutely breathtaking the amount of the amount of um, of, uh, of regulation that they have to sift through to become even you know even versed at doing business in some foreign country or whatever the case might be. So really, I see the trend of outsourcing to the three PL four PL community as just growing and growing and growing. I think the challenge for the 3PL and 4PL community is to make sure they invest in their brain power, their human capital, enough to keep them relevant to move along with our clients. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, staying relevant and uh, knowing all the regulations. I mean, there's so much information out there and so much that companies do need to know on every aspect of the supply chain, and that, that to me is going to be a key benefit in outsourcing moving forward. Absolutely, and when you think about it, if you look at the evening news and you see the political and the governmental and regulatory forces that are just being talked about, you know, daily. Let's talk about, in, in my country, obviously, we've got the... Uh, the issues around the Zika virus, how do we control it here in the U.S., that will now spawn a whole level of regulatory about what can and cannot come into the country, who can and cannot come into the country. How does a company that is trying to export into the U.S. understand what the current environment is? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's impossible to keep your finger on the pulse of those trends. Yeah, and that brings up another good point is um, with international market entry. 
you're you're going to see a lot more in the outsourcing as well because you could have a company in Europe looking to open up a market in Canada or the US or North America mm -hmm. as a whole and you know just having you know the opportunity to outsource um, a lot of that 3PL or that 4PL work in those countries where you don't know a lot about that country and those regulations. I think, I think that's really going to help in business and businesses expanding worldwide. And again, I think about the idea of the investment of capital into a market. Mm -hmm. What does it take to do business in Canada? What does it take to do business in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. It's where folks really need to be. Mm -hmm. If you're in Europe or if you're in China, you need to be selling into the U.S. You need to be selling into Canada. But the cost of just all the regulations of setting up your own shop, mm -hmm. you can't just simply put your banner out and all of a sudden you are a U.S. company. There, there are steps that you have to take. Yeah. And if you think about it that way, um, there is a great opportunity for the 3PL and 4PL community to really... Um, to really remain relevant to that to that client base, the question is: Are we going to make the investment as three PLs and four PLs to, to help our clients get to that level? That's really the wild card in my mind. Yeah, that's going to be the question. Okay, well we've we've already discussed the future in outsourcing, but I want to hear from you where you think supply chain um, specifically is going to be in the next five to ten years, and what challenges do you foresee with that? I have um, in my mind actually uh, three big trends that have, and two big wild cards. So um, the first one will be actually, the first two will be actually diametrically opposed. I see when I look at my top, you know, the, the supply chains that I, I follow, really two big trends, and they're, you know, like I said, very diametrically opposed. One is repatriation of the supply chain. So there's, a, there's obviously a huge movement about making the supply chain more green, trying to get more re reliability into the supply chain, particularly when you talk about certain sectors. Let's think retail. Let's think um, uh, degradable pharma. Those that are really time sensitive are moving more and more into the repatriation of their supply chain, getting their key suppliers closer to them. Um, the, the, the corollary to that is nationalization of the supply chain. Take a P&G, which is, you know, certainly one of the, the grand, uh, the, the masters of supply chain in terms of organization. They've been masters at making national their international brand. So when I would travel overseas and I would look for fabric softener, I would see my fabric softener from P&G there on the shelf, but it was made and produced nationally or within the region, they've been really masters at nationalizing their supply chain. So I think as I, I think trend one is the repatriation of the supply chain, but then the diametric opposes um, companies are going to move beyond China. Mm -hmm. They're going to move out of China. They're going to move into the Indian sub. They're going to move more and more into South Africa yeah. to try to drive down costs. Um, from a manufacturer and a supply perspective, mm -hmm. the challenge will be getting the supply chain costs down. Yeah. And, um, the big guys who really have that mastered go further and further out. I mean, 
think about it. 20 years ago, the idea of an American company investing in Vietnam, it was unthinkable. Yeah. Absolutely unthinkable. And now you, when you, when you go there, when you go to Ho Chi Minh City, when you go to Da Nang, they're just filled with U.S. melting nationals. Yeah, and I, and you're, you're going to see that more and more in Africa as well. I think they're going to be investing some money there, um, especially in the infrastructure. But then we go back to where are the boots on ground smarts as to how to lessen the risks in the supply chain from yeah. Africa. And that's where that's where that investment in infrastructure is, is going to come. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think the, the third trend uh, that I see, which is really an ongoing trend um, that we're currently seeing, and that's the further reliance on technology and data, you know, if, if to, to drive supply chain decisions from a 3PL and 4PL perspective or just overall efficiencies. Um, the idea of using data to drive carrier selections was almost unheard of when I started in the business years ago. It was more based on relationships. It was more based on, on the feeling that you got with the company. Um, there's so much data out there to try to figure out what's the best carrier choice, what's the best supply chain choice, and I, you know, I, I, I think that is just going to be exploding in the next couple of years, in the next decade or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. So then on the opposite side of the coin, what do you think are the biggest changes that we've seen in the last 10 years? I mean, um, we just spoke about the investment, you know, in uh, Vietnam and um and Asia, and I think we've seen a lot of changes over there. But but what else have you seen as some of the biggest changes in supply chain? It's funny. I, I really started my career in the late 80s, so I had a chance to see the world prior to all of the opening of trade barriers in the 1990s and early 2000s. What I see now are governments beginning to... Um, restrict flow of goods either because of political security um, or other reasons we're going to see uh, i see uh, an increased and maybe a, a disturbing trend towards more protectionism protection uh, of, of local markets for what are valid or maybe you know valid national concerns mm-hmm. but the more that we restrict the flow of goods the more difficult it is to enter into the global or, or find a, a good fix for your supply chain um, concerns or issues. Yeah, and expanding and, globally as well. Absolutely. And the other the other wild card in my mind is where are governments going to be investing in their infrastructure? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's widely talked about down here um, the crumbling infrastructure of the U.S. Valid or not, who knows? Um, but as trade expands the governments play an absolutely pivotal role in getting their their infrastructure up to speed. The Chinese infrastructure is nowhere where it needs to be to allow free flow of goods beyond the eastern port cities, for example. Right. Um, and, if, you know, clearly if you've been to Africa, you know that there's barely roads in some of these places to be able to distribute the flow of goods beyond just the ports. Mm-hmm. So I think the wild card in my mind is really twofold from a governmental perspective. How much are they going to invest in their own infrastructure, and how much are they going to 
try to restrict the flow of goods for any number of valid reasons that might be uh, nationally driven, but maybe internationally not in the best interest of global trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, the I guess I was going to switch topics on you. Um, the other sort of trend that I see that I don't understand the outcome to is the assets world consolidating. And what I mean by that is the mega steamship lines, um, the mega uh, aircraft or air freight alliances, um, the mega truck mergers down here. The more that we see the consolidation of the assets of the physical flow of goods, you have to wonder what's going to be the impact on not only transportation rates, but availability down the road in five years or so. Yeah, that's a great point. Really good point, because I, you know, that's obviously going to affect pricing because it almost makes it a bit of a monopoly. Um, But we're going to have to wait and see as to what sort of happens with that. But on a lighter note, I wanted to ask you, and our our audience likes to know, you know, what top companies are you following with regards to supply chain and their operations? Let's, um, I have five, and I'll go through them really quickly. Um, Two of them are my masters, they're sort of my my bellwether ones, Apple and P&G. I mentioned P&G earlier. Obviously, they are just masters at the nationalization of the supply chain. And they have a formula that they follow that is absolutely brilliant. They will ship from uh, the U.S. to a market, figure out if the market likes it, and then nationalize the production of that that good if it flies. Um, They've just been phenomenal over the years, and they've become truly a a global brand. And the second master has to be Apple. Think about it. Any company that can keep the suspense and the secrecy of the supply chain the way that Apple has been able to, absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. When they say they're going to introduce an iPad 5, you don't know anything about it until Tim Cook tells you about it and it's already on its way. Brilliant. But in terms of day-to-day creativity and interest, I follow three from uh, from an industry sector perspective. First of those is Amazon. I can't think of a more creative supply chain than Amazon. And I think what I find very, they're talking about using drones for home delivery here in the U.S. Fascinating stuff. They're in the grocery market down here. They are doing all kinds of stuff. $28 billion of sales within the U.S. last year, but $15 billion internationally. They're, they're investing heavily in India. They're, they're, going to be, they're going to be a behemoth to watch. Yeah, that's, that's, an, that's, um, that's really, really interesting because we have um, somebody from their worldwide expansion from Amazon, from their operations, um, coming on next month to talk to us a little bit about, you know, that we're going to focus more on last mile delivery, but we're going to get a bit of an insight into Amazon and, you know, how, like, what makes it Amazon and and what do they do, you know, well in regards to last mile delivery and things like that. And on the topic of the drone, we had um, the group vice president at Innovation Next for PVH on 
our last episode and he was talking about drones and the future of connected apparel and including drones as the future of delivery. So really, really, really interesting things. I mean, there's, there's almost nothing that these folks are not trying to pilot. You know, I, I just, I, I think Amazon's an absolutely fascinating case study. When you think about it, in the 1990s, they started as a bookseller. We knew them as the Amazon Kindle, and look what they've become. Mm-hmm. So second of my supply chain to watch is Intel. And the reason why I watch them with such fascination is that they came from the 1990s where the chip supply was literally a monopoly. And, what, and, and, and they have been able to recreate themselves based on all the competition they had with Chinese chip manufacturers or, or, or Asian chip manufacturers. Um, they have been able to recreate themselves by investing literally billions into their supply chain to turn it upside down to, to compete with their smaller, more nimble competitors. I think they're a supply chain to watch. Yeah, and, and they continue to do so because from what I understand in our conversation on the last episode um, about the connected apparel is they're making their way into that space as well. Yep. And uh, so they're definitely going to be one to watch. Well, anyways, I wanted to um, thank you for coming on the show. You've, you've brought a lot of really, really good info in regards to outsourcing effectively, you know, when to use a 3PL, when to use a 4PL. What, what do you need to bring to the table to make sure that um, the conversations with those providers, you know, really build into your strategy and, and help your business move forward. So really want to thank you for uh, joining us today, Julie. Absolutely my pleasure. I'm a big fan. Uh, thank you both for the work that you are, uh, you're doing. You're, you're really getting the word out there. And, uh, you know, I really am a big fan of both the website and the podcast. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Julie. Have a great day. Thank you both. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep the orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist and they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and dropship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. To get your free assessment, visit them at icecorp.ca, that is I-C-E-C-O-R-P dot C-A, And check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting for you. Thank you to Julie for joining us today. So much great info about outsourcing effectively. If you would like to read more, we will be posting her blog on our website, twobabestalksupplychain.com. On our next episode, be prepared to take notes. We have Dan Kelly coming on to talk about investigative interviewing for supply chain executives. Thanks for listening, and just remember, ship happens.